I had a really interesting conversation with a psychologist at the University of Utah. Her name's Paula Williams. And she told me, look, the statistics are really bad in terms of what happens to people after divorce. They're much more likely to be depressed. They're much more likely to die young. They're much more likely to have all these problems. But she said, we know that some people are particularly resilient, even if they've experienced childhood trauma, even if they have other things going on. And she said, what our lab is studying are the effects of beauty, being able to find beauty, cultivate beauty, experience awe. She said, we think this is like the secret sauce of resilience. And that like completely lit me up. I was like, wow, tell me everything because I wanna be that person. I wanna be saved by beauty. And I hadn't heard that as an antidote to heartbreak before. It seemed like a, a fresh and really important concept. And so that ultimately is the central theme of the book. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Live Boldly podcast with Sarah Shelton Kranz. This is an inspiring podcast for those seeking proven ways of healing, growing, and transcending their lives. I'm a legendary leader in healing, acclaimed author, keynote, and TEDx speaker, a mom, an adventurer, and a believer in all things possible. My mission is to guide others to live their life boldly, regardless of circumstances. I believe we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Recorded from the trail or in my office, every other week I share inspiring stories from everyday people because we all deserve to be heard. You will also hear from hand-picked professionals ready to guide you beside me. Are you ready? Let's do this. My own mother said this to me. She said, aren't you glad that you now know what to do? and that you can so quickly bounce back because you know what to do. And I will say that that has been one of the biggest gifts in actually um, uh, diving in and doing this work is that shit's gonna always happen to you. You're always gonna have grief. You're always gonna have, there's gonna be loss. There's gonna be devastation. You can't escape it. That's called life, right? And when life happens, we know how to go back to the living peace because we've experienced it in the past. And we now now we now have the tools in our belt to say, okay, this is what I did last time. This is how I'm going to handle it this time. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Live Boldly podcast. Today, I have on Florence Williams. You have heard of her name before. I talk about her in my book. I've also interviewed her on my podcast. She wrote The Nature Fix. It is all about how nature helps us to heal and to grow. Before we dive into Florence, let's talk about what's going on over here. Uh, So much, actually. Um, If you have not watched the episodes of me, I was on The Doctors, recently interviewed as their guest expert. I shared a little bit of my own story and also how nature um, helps us to heal. A little bit about relational and betrayal trauma. It's so good go watch the YouTube links if you have not done so already. We are filling our April Grand Canyon retreat right now. As of today, we only have two spots left. We are also filling July and November in the Grand Canyon. Uh, We are gonna be down there over Thanksgiving, so join us. It's gonna be incredible. We are also filling up our Alaska retreat, uh, kayaking out of Whittier, Alaska next to glaciers and with, oh my gosh, it's going to be just so beautiful. Very big difference between um, healing in uh, the Grand Canyon and also between that and then water healing up in Alaska. You know, it's interesting um, as I've been running with these retreats, 
how much transformation, healing, growing, life-changing has been happening within the clients that I've been um, so honored and blessed to serve. So if this sounds like something you are ready for, reach out to me at sarah at sarahsholtonkranz.com. You can go into my website, sarahsholtonkranz.com, take a look, and let's get you on. We are also filling our online healing program. This is something that we are, um, it's always open to everybody. It is called The Trail, a community for truth, inspiration, hope, and healing. Every month we have a topic that we discuss. I bring in a guest expert, I do a live training, and we have group coaching session. Truly is one of the most amazing spaces. Um, I just love it. Support, love, the, the humans that are in this are such incredible people. And so if that sounds like something you are ready for, again, reach out to me. It is also on my website, sarahsholtonkranz.com. And let's heal together. Let's grow. Let's dive in deep into who we are. And, and let's have freaking fun doing it, please. Like, this doesn't have to suck, okay? So let's really... Um, Let's, let's use this time in 2022 to really figure out and find who we are. Okay, let's talk about Florence. Oh my gosh, she has a new book out. I'm, it's called Heartbreak. I am so excited for her. Florence Williams is a journalist, author, and podcaster. She's a contributing editor at Outside Magazine and a freelance, write, freelance writer for the New York Times, New York Times Magazine, National Geographic, The New York goodness sakes, review of books, Slate, Mother Jones, and numerous other publications. She is also the writer and host of two award-winning Audible original series, Breast Unbound and The Three-Day Effect, as well as Outside Magazine's Double X Factor podcast. Her public speaking includes keynotes at Google, the Smithsonian, the Seattle Zoo, the Aspen Ideas Festival, and many other corporate, academic, and nonprofit venues. You are going to want to go grab your journal, and because, let's face it, she and I are a lover of nature, if you can take this podcast episode outside and listen to it, please do. I loved how vulnerable that she that she became, that she was allowing herself to go to um, within this episode. And so I highly suggest that you keep this one slowed down. Don't do it on fast. And... Um, just really enjoy her words and the conversation that flowed between us. I love her. She is such a dear friend and I am so honored and grateful to bring her to all of you. All right, my friends and family and everybody else that's listening. I am sitting here with Florence Williams. I am so excited to have you on because you and I did a podcast episode a while ago about the nature fix. And during that time we were saying how, well, first of all, I talk about you all over my book. Let's just start there. Like I've been following you for a very long time and was so excited when I had you on my podcast the first time. And then I found out you had this new book coming out and it's all about heartbreak and your journey through heartbreak using nature and various methods of healing. And everybody needs to grab their journal because and their pen, like now, and <laughs> listen and learn. Because in the short time that you and I have been talking, I am just like, wow, this is juicy. This is really good. <laughs> this is really good. You and I are like soul sisters. We have been through some similar journey for sure. It's so wild. And I would never have known, by the way, 
which to me is like the first thing here. Everybody needs to realize that there's somebody else going through never the same thing, something very similar to what you are at right now or going through at this moment. So we are um, not alone. No, we are not alone. And the thing is too, is that you would never like, I think sometimes for my journey through healing, a lot of people looked at me and thought, oh, this is like the perfect family and had no idea anything was happening. And I'm sure you probably had the same in some various way. So let's dive in. Can we? Sure. So exciting. So tell us a little bit about your book, first of all. And for those of you listening at the end of this, we are going to, just as a reminder, I'm going to have a, a little snippet of your audiobook. So everybody listen to this. And at the end, listen to a little snippet of the audiobook that Florence actually recorded. So tell us a little bit about your book. Yes. Thank you so much, first of all, Sarah, for having me on. Mm. I always really enjoy talking to you and uh, I'm a big fan of Thank what you. you do. And it's just great to be here. Thank you. After I wrote my book, The Nature Fix, I found an email on my husband's phone professing his love to another woman. And I wasn't, by the way, I was not snooping on his phone. He actually handed me his phone because there were, he thought I was going to see a different email on his phone about his father. But sure enough, there was another email that came up. And this is after 25 years of marriage and actually 32 years of being together because I met the man who would be my husband when I was 18 years old. So my, literally my first day of college. So we've been together 32 years, a pretty good marriage, a lot of decades of a lot of really good things, two beautiful kids and a life that I was very attached to and a life that I liked, but it all came tumbling down that evening when I saw this email and I guess the, the sort of short of the long is that after quite a few months of discussion and struggle and pain, he did decide that he wanted to leave the marriage. And at that point, I had never been heartbroken before. I had never been on my own before as an adult. And it was like kind of a, a bomb had gone off in my heart and in my brain. Uh, my body freaked out. In, in this kind of interesting way that I talk about in the book where I felt super agitated and I couldn't sleep and I lost tons of weight. And later I found out that's a classic flight or fight response. It's a classic threat response. And I became really, the science journalist in me became curious alongside the sort of emotional subjectivity of it. I also became curious about why is this happening? Why does this feel so crazy and extreme? And why do I feel like I'm getting sick? How do I get better? Like, I need to get better. This is so devastating. I need to crawl out of this as quickly as possible. And so I started talking to neuroscientists and psychologists and learning more about the health effects of heartbreak uh, and then developing a strategy uh, for how to get better. Wow. Wow. Didn't know that. I didn't know about the email and yeah, that's devastating. I'm sitting here going, yeah, I understand that. You start finding all this stuff out and you're like, whoa, what was happening here this whole time? And how did this happen? How did this happen? Especially after that many years of marriage, it's wild. And PTSD trauma, Mm -hmm. relational betrayal trauma is, it is extremely difficult to deal with. Extremely difficult. It is. Psychologists, I learned, call it an attachment injury. And it's, it's some of the biggest emotional pain you can have when it's linked to betrayal and linked to rejection, sort of feelings of rejection yeah. as well. Like someone, 
someone else has been chosen over me. And yeah, I had never, really never in my life experienced anything like that before. And, and the, sci- the science of rejection, what they call ostracism, is super fascinating why it's so hard for us as human mammals to deal with that and why our brains and bodies freak out in that situation. And it goes back to really deeply evolved strategies, strategies of survival. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you're sitting here with a heart that is hurting and... I love how you went into the science part. <laughs> You're just like, why is this happening? I didn't do that. I didn't go into the science part. I went into the, I went into the, just take me straight out into nature and drop me into my heart and heal this thing because it hurts so bad. Yeah. I just, I, I was that emotional somatic healing. Okay. So you get curious about this. And so what do you do? Yeah. One of the first things I did was I I happened to be at a conference in Colorado where I was presenting about the Nature Fix. And I found out at the same conference, it was the Aspen Ideas Festival, that Helen Fisher was also going to be there. And she's a really cool biological anthropologist who studies sort of the science of love, the neuroscience of love. Mm -hmm. She's written a book called Anatomy of Love. And I thought, well, gosh, Helen Fisher, maybe she can help me understand what the hell is happening to my brain. And I emailed her and I said, hey, can we talk? And she said, of course, kiddo, come on over. She's 20 years older than I am. <laughs> and I, I just immediately felt, oh my God, this woman is like my mother. She's just this nurturing, kind woman who swooped into my life and scooped me into her hotel room and sat me on the couch. And fortunately, I just started recording her because at the time I was making podcasts and I was used to just recording interesting people. And I turned my tape recorder on and then I just started doing that when I talked to everybody. And so it turns out that the audiobook that we made is now able to you know, capitalize on some of those really neat awesome. kind of real-time taped conversations, with, which are pretty raw and pretty interesting. So not only wow. is that in the book, but it's actually in the audiobook. But Helen Fisher said, Yeah. Romantic rejection is the biggest pain that we have. It's like our biggest emotional pain. It just gets to our core identity. It makes us feel incredibly frightened about our ability to survive alone on the veldt in terms of our ancestral links to that. We literally feel you know, when, once we've once we've lost our primary attachment, like that, our bodies on some level think that we're about to be attacked by a predator. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that is what it felt like. There was this sort of incredible linkage between feelings of fear and feelings of grief. And those were those. It was really interesting to explore how those two things are related. Why love is actually a core drive that we have in our brains, like thirst or hunger. And so when we lose it, it's almost our brain, our brains think we're still in love with that person and we're missing them and we're craving them and we're desperate to try to fix it and get it right again. And that's why our brains freak out. There's actually, there is kind of an an adaptive response to that. And in mammals, if we lose our, we are supposed to miss that partner and go find them or wait for them to return. But when someone's actually leaving for good, it's it's a much more kind of disrupt destructive response. So that was the first thing I did. And then I ended up talking to some other neuroscientists and, and doing some actual lab experiments on myself <laughs> to figure out what was going on in my body. That. Like, yeah. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> let's dive into lab experiments because we were just talking a little bit about that. And you, you went straight in, like you became the subject of your own lab experiment. 
I did. And, and I knew how to do that because so I, had, cool. <laughs> I had done that for my two other books where I had done this kind of blend of first person and science. The first book I wrote was a book about the natural history of breasts. And for that, I, I actually tested my own breast milk for different industrial chemicals like flame retardant as a way to just talk about breast health and our very polluted world that we live in. So, so, so I was used to using my body as a little bit of a proxy just for uh-huh. conversation as a way to talk about the science in a really popular non-science conversational way. And in the Nature Fix, I did it too. I tested my cortisol levels when I was outside in nature and I tested my brain waves <laughs> in, in different environments. So for this one, I was like, okay, how can I, how can I, how can I do this and what can I learn from it? And I sought out Steve Cole. Steve Cole, who is a professor of neurogenomics at UCLA, a really brilliant guy. And he has spent his career really studying the genetic markers and the gene expression of people who are lonely. Because we've known for quite a while that people who identify as lonely compared to people who don't identify as lonely, they they actually die earlier mm-hmm. and they they suffer from a lot of chronic diseases and no one really knew why. And he wanted to find out what was going on in, in their immune systems that made this happen. And I had some really interesting conversations with him and he said, look, why don't you come out here and give me some blood and we'll look at your genes. We'll look at your immune system. Um, we'll look at your, specifically your white blood cells, because these are the cells that, and, and these are in his words, that listen for loneliness. So they are actually monitoring our social state and responding. Wow. And, and again, there are these evolutionary reasons that maybe once upon a time that kind of made sense. And, and I could talk about that because it's, it's super cool, but, yeah, but now please. it doesn't really make sense. Well, what he's noticed in lonely people <laughs> is that, and, and by the way, loneliness is, it's, it's a subjective term. Yeah. Like it's, it's very much how you perceive yourself that may or may not be objectively factual. You can be surrounded by people in a city or by family members and still feel like a lonely person. Mm-hmm. feel like nobody has your back or you can be alone and feel like incredibly safe and secure and in the bosom of your family and friends and neighbors and feel pretty great but what he found is that in people who considered themselves only they their genes related to inflammation and fighting bacterial infection upregulated so those genes turned on while genes regulating virus fighting turned down. So we became better at fighting alone, alone out in the prairie or out in the jungle. We become better at fighting bacteria and worse at fighting viruses. So why would that be? And his theory is that it's because when we're alone and stumbling through the woods, we're, we are actually are more likely to get attacked by a predator or we're more likely to um, injure ourselves you know, and, and have a bleeding wound, for example. And inflammation does help with that in the short term. And we're not living in groups anymore, presumably. And so we mm. don't need to fight viruses, which are spread in groups. Um, so that's the theory. But unfortunately, as a formula for how we live today, it's right. incredibly unhelpful. And sometimes people are lonely for years and years. And so they have this like upregulation and inflammation for years and years, which is a recipe for death. Honestly, it, it increases your risk of heart disease, of cancer, of diabetes, of Alzheimer's, all kinds of things. And guess what? We actually still need to be able to fight viruses <laughs> right. because guess what? Pandemic. And he made his name really studying men with HIV who also 
really needed to be able to fight that virus. And men who were lonely, who had HIV, would progress faster to AIDS mm. and would die sooner. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. So you start on this incredible research with him and then tell us, tell us a little bit about that, but then also what are the other things also that you started doing through this? Yeah. I guess it actually took a little while to analyze those samples, but he scared me so much by, look, you cannot be heartbroken forever. Snap out of it because it's really bad for your health. Yeah. And I was getting all these weird other sort of medical reports that I was pre-diabetic, actually on the brink of diabetes, which I did end up developing the um, autoimmune kind of diabetes, which is, is a response to inflammation as well as to stress. And he, he just scared me enough that I was like, okay, I need to figure out what's the secret sauce here for getting better. And how can I help other people learn about this and go through it? Because I think culturally, we tend to think that heartbreak is this emotional state, that it's all in our brains. Yeah. And that, yeah, we may be going through like a rough patch, but it's actually far more significant and involved than that. It is not just about your brain. It, it turns out it's about your cardiovascular system and your nervous system and your white blood cells and a bunch of other stuff. Okay. I just want to really quick, just so that we can also get a timeline here. When did this happen? The marital split happened in 2017. 2017. Okay. And then you started doing this research when? A few months after the split. Just a few months afterwards. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And a lot of the reporting from the book takes place in that first year and also some in the second year. Wow. Okay. And literally the book is just coming out. So how long did you do this research? I did the research for a couple of years and then I was a couple of years writing it. And through the pandemic, which which made a lot of the lessons of heartbreak even seem more relevant than mm-hmm. ever. What do we know about loneliness, the health effects? What do we know about grief? What do we know about this sort of collective grief that we're living through? And how can these lessons of heartbreak really help reach us today in terms of what we're all facing as a culture? Wow. 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 Okay. So let's start diving in a little bit more into the journey piece. So what other things in, uh, so I read the book, the body keeps a score, uh, yes. about a year afterwards. And it's so fascinating listening to your journey because I had some of the same things where I couldn't eat. I literally, right. I lost so much weight. I ate, right. I forced myself to eat an apple a day. That's when I got scared when I could not do anything, but drink hot honey and lemon water and forced myself to eat an apple a day. That's when I literally was like, oh, this is not good. And I looked in the mirror one day and I saw myself differently because I, I had lost so much weight and was so exhausted, but yet still feeling this need to move my body. That's my trauma response is movement, move. And it, yeah, it's so many things that were just going on within me. And I'm like, what in the, what the hell's going on here? Right? Yeah. There's the so. physical stuff, the, the physical injury or the, uh, the physical um, sort of manifestation of the shock. And then there's the emotional manifestation of it, which turns out in all sorts of weird ways having to do with your self-esteem and the way you perceive yourself and how you view your future. Will you ever be lovable? Will you ever find love? Trust. These kinds of, exact yeah. can I trust? 
these sort of deep emotional issues that that happen at the same time. So it's this and double whammy that just is. doesn't seem to really help you out very much. Like, no, why is my then, body failing at the same time? Yeah. Am I worthy of anything? Like, how am I going to pick this up with the children? How am I going to explain this? How am I going to put myself back into the world? And you're an author and there's so much stuff here. And the um, social stigma wow. and the shame, oh, yeah. all of that. It's just so much. Yeah. Okay. So then you start taking this on and doing this journey into self. And so tell us a little bit about the different, the different tools, the different things that you did. Cause I love this so much. <laughs> I um, well, I just, like, Whoa, girl. I just threw everything at this. Why and, not? <laughs> you know, there, there's what I, I tried to do a lot of really science-based and evidence-based interventions, but it turns out that some of the sort of the cultural kind of messages that we get about heartbreak, I felt like were wrong. And turns out they weren't really evidence-based. And so I wanted to find out what was, and I also want to try some other things. Different things are going to work for different people. Everyone's path is going to be different. Like you, I also turn to exercise and nature pretty just organically, but having written The Nature Fix, I, those, the lessons of that book were really fresh on my mind. In that book, I talk about the health benefits of being outside, even for just a few minutes, how that can help calm our nervous systems. I talk about the health benefits of being outside several hours a week or a couple hours a day. And, and then I end that book with what happens to your brain and body after three days in the wilderness. And, and but with this, I was like, what? Three days isn't going to be enough. What happens after 10 days? What happens after 30 days? So I started planning this 30 day river trip, which was kind of part of my recovery program. And the idea was to do half of that alone and half of it with other people. And I had a lot of goals for what I wanted to learn and get out of that river trip. So that was one thing. I also ended up going much deeper and just learning how to meditate and trying to do that, going, looking to some spiritual stuff in terms of just getting out of the importance of ego. To me, what spirituality means is looking beyond your own ego and feeling this deeper connection to other people, which is ultimately the most healing thing we can do. So I had this kind of three-part method to healing. And, and the first part was really to calm down because when you're in flight or fight, there's no meaningful healing that can happen. We have to be in a space where we can be open to healing and where we need to see see the threats as challenges more than as threats to our existence. Like challenges we can handle, but imminent threats is a whole different headspace. So I had to calm down. Nature for me was the first place I did that. I had this early on, I had a really interesting conversation with a psychologist at the University of Utah. Her name's Paula Williams. And she told me, look, the statistics are really bad in terms of what happens to people after divorce. They're much more likely to be depressed. They're much more likely to die young. They're much more likely to have all these problems. But she said, we know that some people are particularly resilient, even if they've experienced childhood trauma, even if they have other things going on. And she said, what our lab is studying are the effects of beauty, being able to find beauty, cultivate beauty, experience awe. She said, we think this is like the secret sauce of resilience. And that like completely lit me up. I was like, wow, tell me everything because I want to be that person. I want to be saved by beauty. And I hadn't heard that 
as an antidote to heartbreak before. It seemed like a, a fresh and really important concept. And so that ultimately is the central theme of the book. Wow. So this is, okay, so my heartbreak, I associated it with the relational betrayal trauma. And it also brought up my traumas from when I was 17, which I'm sure for those of you listening, and if anybody's experienced anything like this, it does. It brings up your traumas from your past. And so it's like a compounding piece. And then you start to question everything. And then you start to question your past and you start to question the world and society and just everything, right? Yourself within everything. And the interesting thing about the trauma piece and what you're talking about, and then finding beauty, I'm thinking, I'm reflecting on my own trauma recovery and how that's really what it was for me was just finding the beautiful moments. Yes. It wasn't about the journey. It certainly was not about the destination because you don't know where the hell you're going. Right. There's no destination. destination. (laughs) Newsflash. Spoiler. There is no destination. There is no destination. And it wasn't even about the journey for me. It was, I, once I started breaking it down, it was really about the moments within the journey. It was about the butterfly that I held on to that landed in my hand. It was about the beauty within the butterfly. It was in the awe within the sunsets that you just sat and watched and witnessed. Wow. Okay. But beauty, I've never actually heard it like that. Yeah. The awe piece is, is, so there's a lot of really interesting science about what happens when we experience awe. Mm -hmm. And it's it's one of the most profound emotions that we experience. It, It perhaps is unique to humans. It's one of the reasons that human civilizations uh, have been able to even move forward because, because of this sort of spiritual capacity that we have to feel like there is something more important than just ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is this way that we can feel connected to the world around us when we experience awe. And ironically, through experiencing natural beauty, we can also feel more connected to each other and to community. Um, And there's a lot of science sort of proving that this happens, which is pretty interesting. Scientists will put people in a lab and show them pictures of a waterfall and then show them pictures of a freeway or something and see how they behave after each scenario. Uh, there are pretty dramatic ways that, that people looking at that waterfall become much nicer people and much better team players and things like that. Wow. And that's probably wow. one of the reasons that humans were able to be as successful as they were because we, we experienced beauty all the time. We looked at the Milky Way and we saw the sunset every night and we sat around the fire and sang and um, helped each other birth our babies and all the stuff that really forms bonds and social cohesion. And unfortunately, those are not things that we really do anymore, which is maybe one of the reasons that we live in a really fragmenting, high conflict, not very nice society sometimes. I agree with you a thousand percent. That is why I go into nature. And that is why I do the work that I do. And that is why I'm taking this corporate because yes, we need more of what you and I speak about. It's, it, it transforms the world quite frankly. We need it and our world needs it. That's exactly the world. Like the world needs it. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. So you start looking, you start thinking about how am I going to find beauty in all yeah. of this? it's possible just so everybody knows that just so you know it's possible and i live in washington dc <laughs> and i live the in pandemic. california so well, you LA. have more beauty than i do 
but I had to learn how to do it, you know, where I am. And we all mm-hmm. have to learn how to find it where we are. Fortunately, having written The Nature Fix, I feel like I already had a lot of sort of tips and tricks for how to do that and how to really engage my senses, pull myself out of my thinking brain and into a more sort of sensory kind of animal brain. And then there are interesting ways to do that. Some of which I learned from going to Japan and talking to researchers and practitioners there, practicing sort of what they call forest bathing, which shows that after just even 15 minutes of engaging your sense, your blood pressure slows down, your heart rate slows down, your respiration changes, and you actually switch into a, a much calmer nervous system, which is of course where I needed to be. And so there's this kind of spectrum of doses that I was able to look at in my recovery. And and one was this kind of like daily drip of nature from my walk in the park with my dog and looking at the sunset every night and trying to get out and see the moon and stuff like that. And then another was these trips to the wilderness. And I really wanted to go into a geography that was close to my heart and that I felt comfortable in, but that would also separate me from the kind of human world that was so full of, you know, pain and problem and put me in a place where I could be deeply reflective and deeply sensory and also very active. So I was paddling, was canoeing and kayaking several hundred miles. So Um, so where did you you go on this 30-day trip? So I went down the Green River, which is in Utah, and I started below Flaming Gorge Dam, which is near the Wyoming border. And then I ended up all the way down the Green River at the confluence with the Colorado, a little ways above the Grand Canyon. So you literally went though for 30 days straight? Um, it was mostly straight. I took, I did take a couple quick breaks. I had to drop, so my kids joined me on part of it and I had to drop one at the airport and pick another up and resupply. And I, it was, it right, was right. like four separate legs, but the last two weeks was completely contiguous and that part was solo. Wow. That is so cool. That was, it's, I, that's like when I did the 22 days on the John Muir trail, wow. I think it's one of the most, um, enlightening experiences you can go through, quite frankly, it transforms you. Yes. And just shutting everything off and going diving into yourself spiritually is one of the most profound things you can do in understanding yourself more. But it also, I have to say it was, it had its disappointments. It was not sort of the quick fix (laughs) that I was hoping it would be. And, And this was evident in my state of mind, but it was also evident in the blood work. So we did blood work before and after the wilderness trip because I was at this point so invested in the idea that the wilderness saves everybody. I wanted a blood draw after I got off and and the blood draw really did not show that my immune markers were much better off. They were not much better off after the trip. And and in talking to Steve Cole, it made sense to me. He was like, look, girlfriend, you're not going to actually calm down when you're alone in the wilderness. You can't really calm down in the wilderness. Like you have to be on total alert all the time because you can't screw up. If you get hurt, there's no one to help you except yourself. You have to be paying attention every minute. You can't like tie your boat in badly. You can't cut yourself. You can't step on a scorpion. You can't screw it up. And it's true. Like being out there, you're definitely like, whoa, this is a big deal out here by myself. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not like totally calm. Okay. So Okay. I'm, so you're not fully calm during that time. You come out, you realize that through these blood draws, 
how were you feeling though emotionally? Did you shift at all? Did kind you of feel still, like there was still crappy? When did you do this? When did you do this 30 days? The, so it, this was uh, in 2018. So it was like oh, 12 months. After you were like 12 months out. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was 12 months out. It was really <laughs> terrific and helpful in some ways. Like it did make me feel more self-reliant. It made me feel more competent. It made me feel braver and more right. able to tackle my future. Yes, I know how to take care of myself. Like that is a win. And and it made my kids think, okay, mom's a badass. That, right. that, that was a win. But you know, was so I like completely had I arrived at my destination of my shiny new fabulous life? No, not at all. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> See, I should have asked you. You would have been like, what are you thinking? I love this because I also love you're a very science-driven person. I science to me is so fascinating. I was an art major. Okay. Like I was on the creativity and the let's the flow of paint and that whole thing. So mm, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's nice too. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was great. It's great. I, one year after my discovery certainly was not thinking about going into the wild for 30 days. Mm-hmm. However, it was one year after that I was in Sequoia National Park and had my big realization about many things Mm. while I was out in nature, standing on a rock. So I had my time out there. I was out there. I just wasn't out there for 30 days straight. I didn't do that until my 22 days until in 2020. Mm. I had done like extended Mm -hmm. trips, nine days, seven days, other extended backpacking trips prior to for Mm -hmm. quite a few years, three three years prior to every year I would do one. And I still do them, but the extended one I didn't do until I was in 2020. And how many years out was that? Uh, So mine hit in 2013 is when I found out. 2014 was when I was standing on that rock. Never, ever forget that moment in my life. Mm -hmm. It was such a profound moment. And then I started doing every year, I guess it was 2015 is when I did my first, I believe it was 2015 was my first two night in the winter backpacking trip with one of my friends who taught me how to do it because I didn't even know what I was doing. I had no idea how to backpack. And he was like, let's go back. I'm like, okay. And then we ended up camping on top of El Cap, El Capitan in Yosemite by ourselves. That was an awe moment. And I just kept having these awe moments. And I was like, I want more of these because I feel so magical. I don't even know what else to say. It's like having, it's like being on a drug and it's it's a high. And I wanted more of that and more of that. And I couldn't get enough of it. That was the happiness that I was finding. And it is a self-transcendence. Hell is, yeah, it is. Which is, it's an incredible, it's an incredible high. Yeah. It's an incredible high. And so that's how I ended up backpacking was because my first trip was on top of El Capitan and I was just like, okay, yes, please more of this. And then every year I was, I just became dedicated to it. This is what I'm going to start doing. And I am every August I'm dedicated to my trip right. because that's mine. And until I'm on six feet underground, spread over spread over. I should say, actually spread somewhere ashes spread somewhere. That's what I will be doing. Okay. So 30 days. Okay. Bravery, courage, and holy shit. (laughs) One year after. Uh, It was naive. It was naive. (laughs) I I think it's amazing. I, I think that is absolutely amazing. That is so much courage and bravery as a woman to be coming out of this a year, only a year earlier, finding out that the love of her life had been betraying her. And then all of a sudden she's one year later, I'm going on this for 30 days. Like that is so much bravery to me. I felt like I really had to learn 
how to be alone. Yeah. Because I had never, ever been alone. Nope. I had neither. And it's super scary. It's terrifying. You're looking into the void until you do it and then do it some more and then do it some more. And then you see, okay, I, not only can I do this, but I actually uh, am am enjoying it and getting some (laughs) juice out of it and learning about myself. And holy cow, is that a powerful, fun, beautiful experience. And I feel like I'm alive in a way that I haven't been maybe in decades. So there was a lot of incredible beauty that came out of that, but it was not the whole story. Yeah. Okay. So then what happened? So then another thing that I did was I immediately started dating again. And that happened a little bit by accident. Like I was completely done with men. I thought and I hated them all. I was like, I'm only laughing again. I get it. <laughs> I'm so over this. But then when I wasn't looking, I I developed this like intense attraction to someone and was incredibly surprised by the strength of that and the power of that and how good that felt. And so then I had this kind of, I would say, a sexual sort of reawakening too, that I think a lot of women probably don't talk about so much. And it's one of the places I go in the book. Because at 50, I have no shame. I just not hold back. I just think it's important to talk about these things. And that relationship was a complete dud and a complete disaster. But it was like, okay, maybe I'm not quite ready to write off deep part of my humanity just yet. So I went there. And that was really contrary to a lot of advice that people give you, which is that, no, you need to learn to love yourself first before you can love someone else. You're not right. ready, blah, blah. And, and blah, that just blah. didn't, that, that just didn't sit right with me. And so I gave myself sort of permission to act a little bit like a teenager for a while. Good you for know, you. Because I, I had last been a teenager the last time I was single. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's the person I immediately identified with. And I learned a lot from her. Thank you, 18-year-old, 17-year-old mm-hmm. self. And then ultimately, I actually talked to a psychologist at the University of California, Berkeley, about the power of awe. And he's a friend, he's a pal. And I said, look, I'm getting divorced and it's really hard. And do you think I should try psychedelics or should I try mushrooms? And he, he basically sat me down and he said, I've experienced heartbreak. It really helped me when I was younger. The thing, the thing about mushrooms is that they actually, what they give you is this sort of technicolor amped up version of awe. That's what it is. It's awe written in neon. And if you do it really carefully and you do it right, and you do it with someone who you trust and in a therapeutic setting and who's safe and you feel safe doing it, it can really mainline this awe straight into your bloodstream. And that can help you feel, again, a smaller sense of ego which is really important. It can help you gain perspective, which is really important. And it can help you be less afraid of the future. And so I was like, he's yeah, you should do it. So (laughs) So you did. So I did it. I did this um, like MDMA slash psilocybin one-on-one clinical session that lasted like a full day plus the intake plus the debriefing. It was like a three-day commitment, basically. It's pretty expensive, but I, it was fantastic, actually. He was right. So I've got, this is interesting. I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday, two days ago, and she's she takes people on these journeys. And then I have another one here in LA that they've been asking me. They're like, 
you got to come do this. You got to come try this. And it's all very, they've gone through the courses. They guide people through. They're very professional about it. Have not done it. Um, Curious on it though. I do have to say when I was on a TV show being interviewed, that was one of the things that, that was brought up was that this is something that people are definitely utilizing a lot more in in uh, in therapy and it's fascinating it is being used more and i think it's not for everyone because anything like everything right not everything is for everybody and so definitely you got to do what feels right to you right it involves this total loss of control and especially if you're coming from a place of trauma that can be really triggering if you're on any kind of uh, antidepressants it's not going to work actually. And so I think there are a lot of things to take into consideration. I think there are a lot of untrustworthy guides out there too, actually. So you have to be careful who you do it with. For me, it had been described as a potential breakup drug, which Mm. I thought was a really interesting way to look at it. And I knew that some couples were utilizing MDMA and psilocybin in couples therapy to become closer to each other. But it turns out it can also be really helpful in breaking up because what it does is it helps you decouple your negative emotions, you know, from your memories. And you can get to a place where you can start to maybe see the other person's perspective, maybe come to a place of Uh, forgiveness, if that's something you're ready to do. It can help you, I think, feel like you can accept what's happening Mm -hmm. and then not be so afraid of the future because actually everything's really beautiful (laughs) (laughs) and life is way more significant than the little drama going on in your marriage. And ultimately we're all just molecules and our emotions are just molecules and we take them so ridiculously seriously. And wouldn't it be nice to have that sort of put into perspective a little bit? Yeah. Wow. This is that. So when did you do this? So I did that one in 2019. So that was a year after the river trip, two years after the split. And that's when things really started to turn the corner for me. It was through this experience. Who knows? But around that time, Mm the stars started to line up in a more favorable way. And, and that's when my blood work started to look a lot better as well. And my health yeah. got better. Yeah. Yeah. This is, and, and I think that if anything, if, when people are listening to this, I want you to please, please remember that everybody's tool and what they're using, <clears throat> it may not be for you. Healing, it's not linear. It is not linear. There's so many different right. um, tools that we can use. And, and that's fascinating that you did that. I love it. I will also say you have got to find the guide, the good guide to take you through a journey like that. Yeah. You cannot go through Google and just be like, set me <laughs> up with somebody. If you need somebody good, I've got somebody good. I'm sure you probably have somebody that's good that you could reference as well. Would you? I can't because she is anonymous. Ah, okay. I have somebody good. So if anybody <laughs> wants anybody, I've got somebody okay, good. Okay, ask Sarah. Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah. So then, so started starting aligning. What does that mean for you? It meant that I felt like I was not afraid anymore. Mm. Like I would be okay. I felt I was really learning how to open my heart and how to love. That I had actually rediscovered or discovered this ability, this new sort of newer and bigger capacity for love and mm. for empathy. and for helping other people, for pursuing 
you know, this purpose and this mission of helping other people through this and having more bandwidth for my kids and what they were going through. Although I was, it was, I was prioritizing them all along, but this, I guess, made me, maybe just better able to do it. Yeah. Wow. And then have you gotten to a place of forgiveness? I largely have. Yeah. Uh, and I talk about that in the last chapter. And it, it wasn't because my ex asked for it or because he apologized, although he did. And, and that was helpful. But it, it was because I think I just kind of started to honor a little bit more his own journey too, as well as mine. And to be grateful actually for the things I learned from him and the great years and even decades that we shared together. Like, I don't regret, I don't regret those years. There were a lot of them were pretty great. And there were a lot of really great things about them. And then ultimately it's provided this opportunity for me, I think, to be a more full and loving human being. And that's been an incredible gift. Yeah. Yeah. I found so much of my own space of forgiveness, obviously, when I was climbing mountains and finding beauty in the moments and just all out in nature. And it's a, pro- it's a practice and a process every single day, right? Like, right. It's, it's, it's a process, it's, right? It's a process. It's not one and done. So in essence of time, because, and I, I want to honor your time with me and I, your schedule as well. Where are you at today? Is there anything else that you would like to share with us about your journey and what you found out? And then where are you at today? I'm like diving into this book this week. <laughs> Great. I well, didn't have a I, chance yet because we literally set this up last minute. I just thank you for squeezing though. me in. Oh, yeah. please. thank I'm you so much. So excited. I was like, yes, it's coming out. Yes. Thank you. I'm just curious to see where the conversation leads as other people read this book. I hope it will help people feel like there is a safer space for talking about these difficult issues and for talking about their emotions, which is not something we're always so good. I would love to see that happen. I would love to be able to talk about this book, meet with other women, maybe lead retreats, maybe do some kinds of forest bathing. I've been certified as a forest bathing guide myself now, and I've had some amazing experiences taking groups of women out. So I'm just curious to see where it goes and I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm certainly very committed still to the healing powers of nature. And I see this as a part of that. And I don't see that stopping anytime soon. No. And I love how you've brought this personally and into your, into this space for everybody, right? Like you've taken the personal side and you've put it out there for everybody to learn from. And that's the coolest thing. I think that we can do that. Yes. We also heal ourselves that much more the power of our own story. It's really cool. Okay. I have to ask, are you dating anyone? The honest truth, Sarah, is that I've been dating nonstop. I've been dating nonstop and I have had some really lovely relationships and some that were less lovely, but I am in a relationship right now and it's really nice and I'm really grateful for it. But I don't necessarily, I, I, I would say I have let go of the sort of narrative that we are all taught that there is a Prince Charming and a happily ever after and that's what we need to be happy. To tell you the truth, that narrative just just disgusts me now. I just think there's so many ways to be happy mm-hmm. and that we're so many of us are still slaves to that narrative. And mm-hmm. I don't think it does anybody a, a service. And I, I think especially in midlife, there are so many ways to love mm. and to be loved. And there are so many ways to be happy. And, and to have to conform to this particular narrative is just annoying that I'm over it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. What would you, what is the last thing that you would like to leave with our listeners? Keep talking to each other. Yeah. Keep telling your story and making yourself, figuring out how to make yourself the hero of your story because you are. Don't let anyone tell you you're not. And find some strength in community and some comfort in beauty. I have to tell you, I am so blessed and honored to have you here. Oh, I truly remember Florence. One of my awe moments was when I actually found your book, The Nature Fix. And I was trying to figure out like, why am I going through trauma recovery so much faster than Mm -hmm. so many other people? Mm -hmm. What's helping me? What am I doing different? What's going on here? And I'm not that I'm not the person that would go talk to somebody in a university and ask them to let's do a research project together on all of this. However, I do have to say, I would really love to get a brain scan and see what has shifted through the years because I've been through a lot of trauma in my life. And for some reason it's it, I'm like what the resiliency is, like where the resiliency comes from, you know? Yeah. I wish there were a a sort of easy brain scan that would tell us that. I wish. It's not quite that easy, but but I think if Sarah, if you know that you are sleeping pretty well, able to love the people you want to love, Mm -hmm. able to reach and help other people like that, that's resilience. Oh yeah. That's that's healing. And uh, so um, I applaud you for your recovery and and what you've been able to to do and how you've been helping so many people. It's really inspiring. I applaud you as well. It's moments like this. Like I sit in awe right now of how all of this has come together. Because I remember walking down the street barefoot, holding your book, going, holy, like flipping through it, like literally <laughs> walking my dog barefoot in my barefoot. robe. Barefoot. I love it. That's California. Always. Oh, okay. <laughs> always in my robe, like flipping through your book going, this is what's going on. Oh my gosh. This is, where's oh. this person been? This is, this is what's happening to me. Right. And then realizing, oh my gosh, I can take all of this and actually create something with it through my own, that's my art background. That's my creativity. And I'm going to, I'm going to help others through this way in this way. I'm going to serve. And so you were a big factor in that. And I just love hearing your story as well. It's really been a pleasure to share it with you and an honor. And thank you once again for inviting me on. Absolutely. So everybody stay on, listen to the, this portion of the audiobook recorded by you, which is really exciting and reach out, tag Florence, tag me within your learnings of this. When you put everything onto social media and share your thoughts and um, we'd love to reshare. Would you like to please tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find the book? Yes. Thank you, for, all of the thank things. you for that. My website's really easy. It's florencewilliams.com. And the enhanced audiobook, which I'm super excited about, is uh, published by Pushkin. And you can find that anywhere, it, where, anywhere you buy audiobooks. And in the hardback is also in, in your favorite bookstore, hopefully. So thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I look forward to your next one because I know that there's going to be more. <laughs> hope so. I, mean, I assume. I, I don't know why not. I hope so. I love it. <laughs> thank you for being here. Fisher was vibrant, well-dressed, and alluring, 20 years older than me, and, I noticed, unmarried. How did her skin look so great? She poured us each a glass of water. Are you sleeping? No. Uh Are you eating? 
No, I've lost 20 pounds. Oh, I, 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 I know why. I know. Okay, tell me. Um, uh, <laughs> tell uh, me everything. It's one of the most painful human experiences that the human being can can uh, suffer because you've you've lost um, a life partner. And yet, she explained, it's been neglected as a topic of study. Many scientists, she said, simply underestimate the power of heartbreak. But it's also more alluring to track the excitatory state of falling in love. My friends, thank you for listening to the Live Boldly podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so grateful to have you here. I'd love to invite you over to sarahsholtoncrans.com to receive five free meditations recorded by me or download your free guide on how nature is your perfect healing therapy. My site has many free resources to guide you on your life journey, many that I used myself while on my road from victim to survivor. And also, please, I ask that you share my podcast with those who may need inspiration, information, or who may need to hear from others going through where they are right now. To grow this podcast, please leave an iTunes review and subscribe. Go find it on other platforms such as Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please also go to my Instagram or Facebook page, leave a message in my comments, and tell me what you think of this episode. Please share in your stories and tag me. I'd love to reshare and celebrate your healing journey. I love hearing from each one of you. Let's keep the ripple going. It begins with each one of us. I love you. And as I always say, I believe in you, us, always. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.